Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, I'm that guy who was just on the screen. I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor here at Lake Forest. And and maybe one day I'll grow up and be senior pastor of a church where I'm shown a little respect. (laughs) And have have like the pastor parking space, you know, and then beside it, the first lady parking space. Uh, I aspire to that maybe one day. We're in this this sermon series called Superlatives. We're learning uh, from some of the Old Testament characters who they're listed in the New Testament in the Hall of Faith in, in the book of Hebrews, but we're learning from some interesting cats. And that's why next week is a little PG-13. It's not going to be like crazy. You don't need to worry about it. Like if your kid... If y'all talk about real stuff, it's be just fine. Uh, but there's prostitutes in the Bible, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, I mean, not about prostitutes in general, but about her. Um, and today is maybe similar and might get a little PG-13 in a moment. Uh, uh, if, open up your Bible to Judges chapter 13 through 16. is the story of Samson, most likely to have best hair. And his story starts out with lust. It ends with anger and violence. And in the beginning, Samson wants romance. In the end, he wants revenge. And in between, he makes one mistake after another. And there are only two teeny tiny little moments of faith that burn through. And yet he's listed in the hall of faith. So a little bit hopeful for me is one of the only hopeful things in this story. Frankly, his faith is so paltry, and yet God uses it instead. And the rest of his life is a cautionary tale, not one to emulate. So be sure that you hear right up front, like, don't do what Samson would do. Only do what Jesus would do. Samson's the perfect picture of a person out of control. Whether you're a person of faith or not faith, this will relate to you. And here's the irony. He was a believer in the one true God, Yahweh, and he was empowered by the Spirit, we're told, because uh, he was chosen to lead God's people, but he was never controlled by God's Spirit. And that can happen to any of us. And when it does, if we're empowered by the Spirit but not allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit, we're capable of great accomplishments and incredibly stupid mistakes at the same time. Incidentally, Samson explains how some Christian leaders can accomplish great things for God and yet fall into terrible sin. The next time you see that happens, turn to Judges 13 and read it through. When when that happens... uh, there, there are often leaders who are empowered by God's Spirit but do not allow themselves to be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, and Samson at certain points was empowered by the Spirit of God to lead Israel to safety from the Philistines who were trying to subsume them into their culture. And God needed to keep his people distinct so that he could one day birth the Messiah through them and that was Samson's utility in God's plan. But there was never really a point in his whole life when for a long period of time he was under the control of God's spirit. And we want to learn the difference so we don't fall like Samson. Now today's main insights I've learned from a few different authors, by the way. Now Samson did know the truth about God, about Yahweh. One Christian counselor who's written about in Mississippi says to every one of his clients at the beginning of their first session, he quotes a famous phrase from Jesus and adds to it. You you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, Jesus said. And this counselor prints this out and hands it to his, his clients. The truth shall make you free. That's John 8, 32. 
but it will hurt you first. <laughs> and this is why so many of us have trouble growing spiritually. It's not because we don't know the truth. Christians and Christian culture, man, we got so much truth in books and blogs and streaming sermons, it's running out of our eyeballs, the truth straight from Scripture. That's not our problem. If knowing the truth was all that we needed, we'd all be candidates for permanent sainthood. The problem runs deeper than that. We know the truth, but we don't want to let it hurt us, in the words of that counselor. The way a shot at the doctor's office or a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon hurts, but it's a holy healing hurt. So we deflect truth, we deny it, we ignore it, we attack it, we argue with it, and in general avoid it any way we can. Our approach has been described like a spaceship being attacked by aliens. We put up the force field so we can deflect incoming bullets of truth. And after a while, we get so good at deflection that the truth doesn't get through to us at all. And therefore, we don't experience the being set free that Jesus says is possible from his truth. And thus, we're still angry. We're still stubborn. We're still bitter. We're still greedy, arrogant, filled with lust still self-willed, still unkind, that, whatever your go-to is. And we refuse, that happens when we refuse to let the truth hurt us and set us free. And Samson thought he was free because he did some stuff, man, and he was the boss and he was in charge. He thought he was free, but he wasn't. He was in bondage to his uncontrolled emotions. The truly free person is not the man or woman who does whatever they want. It's the person who's dared to let the truth of God hurt them and in the process of being hurt has been set free from the shadow side ruling over our life. So are you willing to let the truth hurt you this summer as we look into the little bits of God's word in the hall of faith? And when you and I decide to say yes, then the words of Jesus will come true for you and the truth will set you free. Now, we can't study all four chapters of Judges on Samson today, so I'm going to do a lot of summarizing, and I'm going to focus on a lesser-known event earlier in Samson's life. We're, we're, this is 20 years before Samson and Delilah make like Marvin Gaye and get it on. So that you, can, you know that story, you read that story in Sunday school, uh, and all that about his hair. We're not going to talk about his hair today, but it, evidently it was cool. It was in seven braids, long braids. So there's a Rastafarian hair dude in the Bible. It was, it, the details there, it's seven long braids. That's interesting to me. Uh, so let me summarize. So starting with Judges 13, Judges chapter 13 says Samson was a guy that from birth was set apart, called and chosen by God to help bring about and preserve the deliverance of God's people from the oppressive hand of the Philistines who were not good dudes in history. And so God gave this man supernatural strength to be a judge. Last week we learned about Deborah. She was the judge, the leader of Israel. Samson is said to have been so for 20 years in his day. And inside of Samson, because of what chapter 13 contains, a prophecy about his life, he had so much potential. And yet, even though he had all this potential from God, like many of us, he continued to make self-destructive decisions again and again and again and again. We're going to look at one of his vulnerabilities. We might get to two of them today. And I hope they relate to your life like they relate to me. Because like so many of us, Samson was emotion-controlled and not spirit-controlled. Would you uh, read this with me? Samson was emotion-controlled, not spirit-controlled. Commentaries talk about this a lot of different ways, but this is the main insight scholars have into Samson's life, and it relates to me. I don't know about you. 
and men here today who are Christians, one of our big problems is we're called to be led by the Holy Spirit in all that we do, and yet we're often led instead and controlled by our emotions. But a challenge is, I'm a man, and I know men. I hang out with men when there's no women around, and we men don't like to think of ourselves as emotional. Women are emotional. It's a true. I'm just telling you, ladies, I'm sorry. But at the golf course, that's a truism from man to man. That's just what they say. I'm not saying it's true, but we're not. We're strong. Women are emotional. They make emotion-driven decisions. The reality is we're all emotion and emotional, and emotions are given by God. They're a gift. They're not bad, but none of us should be driven by them. And because men say this about ourselves in North American culture, we're likely to be more driven than anyone else because we've inoculated ourselves to think we are driven by emotion. How many of you, we could stop and tell a bunch of stories right now that would be really fun. How many of you men or women or teenagers can think of a time when your emotions led you astray? You let your emotion control you and like something not good happened, foolish or, or worse. Okay, lots of hands in the room. The rest of y'all, I don't know what's up with you. Um, we have a bunch of Vulcans at Lake Forest Church, like Spock. Um, no emotions. Uh, it happened to me again. Get like, let my emotions lead me astray, control me, as I was driving recently on I-77 north of Statesville. Some dude was in the left lane going slower than me. You know those signs that say, slower traffic, please use the right lane? I think that should have been one of the Ten Commandments. And I believe God pays special negative attention to anyone breaking that commandment. Can I get an amen? amen. And with the toll road now, people think they're entitled do they think it's the middle lane? It's still the left lane. <laughs> if you're not paying at all. So this dude was going slower than me. And I gave him ample time to notice me coming up faster so he could move. Like I gave him an entire quarter of a second. <laughs> and then I needed to communicate with this person. I didn't have his cell phone number. I didn't have his email address. So I got right up on his bumper and flashed my high beams repeatedly just to communicate what was happening. And I gave him plenty of time to respond. And in a quarter second more, I'm hot with righteous anger because men, I'm not driven by emotion. I just know what's right. That's what the sign says. It's not emotion. I have a right to this lane. And that is Samson, bro. That's Samson. And then I might have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit or maybe it was a former voice of my lovely dear wife when we might have been in a similar situation and she was in the car, she wasn't with me this time, and, and it might have sounded like this. Babe, you were going a bunch of miles over the speed limit, hurtling through space and time in metal and glass and gasoline, two inches from the bumper of some fool you don't know from Adam who might slam on his brakes at any moment if his emotions get the best of him like yours just did. Why are you risking your life, our marriage, our happy years of retirement together? your career over this silly, foolish thing, you, 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 you strong, emotionless man. <laughs> she wouldn't have said it like that. I, 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 those would, I'm exaggerating. She doesn't like it when I exaggerate about her, so those were my words. Um, don't, Sandridge, don't tell her I said that. Um, I'll clean that up for the next service. It'll be the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the answer... <laughs> The answer for real was, 
I'm being controlled by emotion, not the spirit of God. And that was a sin. And it could have led to something really drastic. So I backed off. We want to do what's right, but we allow our emotions to take over. And, and I don't know how it plays out for you. You know, maybe you're a guy and, and, and you work hard and you want to engage more with the children and your spouse at home. But you know how it is when you get home, you're like, I need to engage, but emotionally I'm fried. It was a long day. So it's easier to sit back and disengage and click and watch TV all night long and not do what you want to do. You, know, you recognize that's driven by a type of emotion. Or maybe uh, to your roommate or, or, or a spouse or a family member, you say something stupid or do something stupid and you're like, you walk away and you're like, man, I should apologize. That was stupid. But because of our pride, and your roommate or your wife said something stupid too, you just don't do it. That's being emotion controlled, not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we end up like Romans seven fifteen, men and women. Where the Apostle Paul says, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And this especially applies when we allow ourselves to be controlled by emotion, especially if we don't know we're allowing that. And so for many of us men, it's when we're emotion-controlled and not spirit-controlled. And that's why I put the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the what? I mean the who? The spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict so that you're not to do whatever you want. So we're to live walking by the spirit. And the problem for Samson and so many men, especially, and women, is we become emotion-driven rather than spirit-controlled. Let's see this play out in Samson's life. Now I'm going to show you a few episodes in his life. Uh, Judges chapter 13, Samson's birth is predicted, and we see great faith in his parents. Judges 14, he's a young man now, about 20 years old, and he went and pursued a woman who worshipped a false god, a Philistine woman. He went to a place he shouldn't have been, hanging out with people he shouldn't have been hanging out with and gave his heart to someone uh, he shouldn't have, a Philistine woman. And he was like, I want to marry her. I don't care what God says, Dad. I don't care what you say. His mom and his dad pushed back on him. He said, I don't care. And so he's now, uh, chapter 14, he's at a bachelor party. Uh, it, it, it's like a, a seven-day wedding at the, uh, in that culture. And so the beginnings of it is like the bachelor and bachelorette weekend phase of stuff that we spread out now. But it's seven days, and that's what's happening in the middle of Judges 14 if you want to follow along in your Bible. This wedding's about to go down, and because she's a Philistine woman, there are a bunch of Philistine men around. And, and, and they think that these men were there to guard uh, because this is a cross-cultural thing, and they don't trust each other. And so there's 30 Philistine guards at this wedding. And, and Samson's hanging out with him, and he says, hey, guys, he, he does the man thing. He's going to woof at him. He's an Israelite man. He's kind of a warrior, and they are. He says, let me tell you a riddle, and let's have a battle of wits during these seven days, verses 12 to 13. Let me tell you a riddle. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and sets of clothes. That was a valuable possession at that time. If you can't tell me the answer, you have to give me 30. See, everybody knows when men decide to compete, they have to, like, put a bet on it. They can't just be like, hey, I got a riddle. What do you think? This dude has to put a bet on it. And he says, I'll give you seven days. And here's the riddle, but first let me give you background. Early in chapter 14, 
Samson had been walking down to the city to see the, his fiance, and a lion came out, and he killed the lion with bare hands. The, the spirit of the God's empowerment on him, the spirit of God's empowerment on him was a superhuman strength. And so he kills this lion with his bare hands. When he comes back that way a week or a month later, inside the carcass of that lion is a honeycomb. And he reaches in and he eats some of it, breaking one of his Nazarite vows to God to never touch a dead body. One of his many ways of unfaithfulness to God. But he's eating honey out of the carcass of this lion. And so here's verse 14. Here's the riddle. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. Your game on. He replied, out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. And for three days, they could not give the answer. You see what he's talking about. He's talking about the lion and the honey. And it's not a fair riddle. Like you would have had to have been there with him to see honey up inside of a lion. Like you can't figure this one out. It's not even fair. That's what they should have said. Uh, But for three days, the Philistine men could not give him the answer. And so they get mad. We see a whole lot of men driven by, uh, controlled by emotion here. They get angry. They're losing the bet, and it's a lot of money. And so they go to his fiancée. This is during the seven days of the wedding feast, and they say, trick him. Get the secret out of Samson. And if you don't get the secret out of Samson and we lose this bet, we're going to burn you and your dad to death. That's one of the reasons why we think that these 30 men were there to guard this whole situation. They were not friends. Uh, The Philistines, I told you, are not like nice people. Uh, nobody's ever said that about them historically. Uh, so she uses a potent weapon, and she cries in front of him. You don't love me if you won't tell me the answer to, my, to the riddle. And so he caves into her tears, tells her the secret. She tells the 30 men. We pick it up in verse 18 of Judges 14. Before sunset on the seventh day, like in the nick of time, the men said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So they got it honey in a lion. And now we see Samson's rage. He's furious that he's lost this bet and they figured it out. He's embarrassed and he gets angry and now he says the stupidest thing. That's not the Bible. Uh, that's, my, that's my paragraph. I got my notes done late this week. Um, and now he says the stupidest thing, that's not in the Bible, that he could have said. Verse 18b. Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Ooh. He just called his fiance at the rehearsal dinner a heifer. You talk about an arrogant jerk, loser, no good, bad decision-making dude whose anger got the best of him over and over again. At his wedding, he called his wife a heifer. Do not do what Samson did. Ask what would Jesus do, do not ask what Samson would do, and then do the opposite. He's like George Costanza, okay? (laughs) That first night of the honeymoon is not going to be normally like it normally is, I'm thinking here. So we're now going to watch Samson keep going and cave into a weakness that many of us men especially battle with. I'm going to just particularly apply this to men. It applies to women as well. Rather than responding by the Spirit of God, he reacts with emotion. He's emotion-controlled, not the Holy Spirit. And watch him fall victim to two emotions that often take strong men down. Maybe you can relate to this, guys, like I can. And women, too. Number one, Samson allowed anger to have control instead of God's Spirit. 
Judges 14, 19 says, burning with anger, he dot, dot, dot. He went down to Ashkelon, one of the five, uh, the Philistines are what's called a pentapolis. They had five cities on the coast of the Mediterranean that they ruled over. He went down to Ashkelon, one of those cities, struck down 30 of their men, killed them, stripped them of their belongings, and came back and gave their clothes as the bet to the, to the 30 who had explained the riddle. Dude went and took the, with the strength God had given him, the talent God had given him, he went and took the lives of 30 innocent men just for their clothing. And, and then, and it says, he was burning with anger. And Samson's wife, what happens next in the story, is she was giving to the best man who had attended him at the wedding. You might be like, what? Well, here's what, so Samson lost his bet. He called his bride a cow. He left before the wedding started, ran, got into a killing spree in his rage. We don't know how long it took him, but a long time to kill 30 men. It was a long ways away, Ashkelon was. Get their clothing, come back, give them as the payment of the bet. And the bride's father's sitting there going, this is embarrassing. We got the wedding party, all of our guests. And he just stormed off after making a scene. We don't even know where Samson went. And it wouldn't have been uncommon at that time to say, well, she's of marrying age, and he's not here, and she doesn't like him anymore, and the best man is a great guy. You two want to, you know, make like Marvin Gaye? Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Now, imagine the hothead Samson. Now he comes back after this wedding. He's already in a bad mood, and he goes into another rage. He's so mad at the Philistines that they gave the woman away a, a to be the bride of someone else. That now he goes, and, and this is another exploit. I don't know how this happened. Uh, but he gets some foxes. He ties their tails together with a torch and sends it through all their crops of the Philistines and burns their crops, which basically cost them a ton of money. And you can imagine the chaos. Uh, and now, guess what the Philistines are now? They're furious. So what do they do? They go and burn the woman and her family, who was his original fiancée. And killed them. And so we see what we're going to see many times in, in the book of Judges. Samson's emotion-driven anger costs him as it often costs so many of us. And, and here's a challenge that one counselor says. Many men live out of anger as our negative default emotion. Let's come back into our story now. For many of us, anger is our negative default emotion. For example, if somebody embarrasses me. I don't necessarily feel embarrassed or even say the word embarrassed. That's a primary experience or emotion. Men often habitually go to the secondary emotion, which is anger, without even naming it as an embarrassment. And we just say, I'm angry. And now we're embarrassed and angry. I'll show them they shouldn't do that to me. That's what that looks like. It's as simple as if a man stubs his toe on a chair, what, what does he do? A woman stubs her toe on a chair, and she might sit down and rub her toe and be like, well, that hurt. The man turns back and kicks the chair. Again, stupid chair, I hate you, chair. Because for us, anger is often a negative default emotion. It's very important, parents, to help teach boy, young boys and girls how to name these things inside, how to regulate, and we're also training them how to walk in the spirit not in the flesh. Think about this, though, for a minute. What did Samson have to be angry about? It says he burned with anger. He was the one who pursued the wrong woman on the cheating side of town. 
He was the one who decided to marry her. He's the one who ignored his mom and dad's advice, his godly mom and dad. He's the one who taunted the Philistines with the riddle who made the bet. He's the only one who knew the secret. He's the only one who gave the secret away. He's the one who left his wife at the altar to go kill 30 men in cold blood. He's the one who burned the villages. In other words, he's mad at the world, but most of his mess is his own fault. And that's where many of us men end up living, angry at the world. We have an epidemic of male anger in our culture. It's just simmering, simmering. In reality, like Samson, the, we should be angry mostly at ourselves and deal with the stuff. Uh, it could be anything. I hate my boss, my stupid job. It's a stupid job. When in reality, maybe we're mad because I didn't finish the apprenticeship or the education that I started, or I accepted a job that I feel like is beneath me, or, or I'm mad at myself and I'm taking it out on someone else, or, man, my, my wife won't meet my emotional or physical needs. She does not meet my needs. When in reality, it may be likely that I haven't been meeting her emotional needs in months and months and need to hold myself accountable for my actions and need godly men to sharpen me into that. I'm mad at God. God, I can't believe you, you put me in this place. I shouldn't be going through this in my life. The truth of the matter is often we're where we are like Samson because of our own unwise decisions and blaming it on God. Not always. And gentlemen, if that's you, let's own it. Because that's been me at many different seasons of my life, driven by the emotion of anger rather than being led by the Spirit into foolish decisions. Be honest, for many of us, men in particular, it's our anger, outbursts that get us into trouble and that sap a bit of the freedom of the abundant life Jesus offers. And he offers us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit instead. But we choose to allow anger to take over. And I would love for there to be a man or two who decide to call it what it is and go, I need help right here. Samson is me. I ain't killed anybody, but that's my story, driven by anger. Uh, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need help. Maybe to reach out to a friend, another man, and say, would you hold me accountable? Would you pray for me? Would you be a safe place for me to talk this out? Or find a mentor or, or a pastor or me and be like, man, I need skillful counseling. Can you connect me with somebody to get this out of the driver's seat of my life in the left lane of I-77 because it's so habitually my default, I know I can't get it out by myself. Maybe there's apologies that need to take place. That would be being driven by the Spirit, not controlled by anger. Like, honey or kids or roomie, um, I haven't treated you so well. I've blown up. I've taken my frustrations out on you. I'm sorry. Not, you know, I've been having a hard time lately. That's not part of this conversation. No excuses. It might be, need to sound like this, baby. I haven't treated you with honor and respect. And will you please forgive me? I want to be a faithful man of God who is a force of the Holy Spirit in your life, not someone controlled by emotion. So the first problem is that he was burning with anger. Uh, when my two sons were growing up, I used the image of a sword to represent masculinity. Uh, I would bring swords back from countries and places I visited to say, hey, boys, masculinity is a great good gift from God 
to you, boy. But when misused in this world, it's a source of great destruction individually and socially. So, sons, all that we're trying to do is train you to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit and be a force of God's love and truth in any person's life and in this world through what work he gives your hands to do. Use it well. So the first deal is he was burning with anger. The second thing we'll touch on (coughs) is Samson also allowed pride to control him instead of God's spirit. He was filled with pride, still dealing with his anger. He goes out, and because of the strength God has given him, he does something else. Verse 15, this is because of God's strength in him. God has given us our strengths and talents. He's given my sons and every man in this room masculinity, which is a beautiful, powerful thing invented by God. How will we use it? Here's what Samson does with his power next, verse 15. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. (laughs) This is somehow superhuman strength. This is is a heinous use of spirit-enabled superhuman strength. This is like UFC on steroids times a thousand plus the spirit of God in him as a strength. Even though he misused it, it was God's strength to win this victory. But look who tries to take credit for his strength in verse 16. After that event, verse 16, he says, With a donkey's donkey's jawbone, I have made a donkey of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. The the, the Bible translators clean this up for us really nicely because this is actually a crudity in Scripture, in God's Word. Because there's another word for a donkey. It starts with A, and it's got two crooked letters after it. And, and the play on words here is essentially, commentators will tell you, uh, I made an A uh, out of you with an A's jawbone. Dang, that's God's word. Mm, bringing it. But that was his, I'm sorry, it was his word <laughs> recorded in Not as our example to follow, we follow Jesus. When the truth, I'm going to cut that out in second service too. Um, and so with his anger (laughs) uh, he's like I'm mad at God God uh, with his anger it now leads him to pride he's so full of it pride and why is it that many of us men and women battle with pride Look at me, look what I did. Hey, do you like me now, men especially? Am I strong? Have I won enough to impress you? Have I conquered enough? Don't you think I'm great, don't you? And it is why the, the, the masculine soul really longs for respect from the feminine soul when she truly sees his true strengths as a man and respects him for it. But it can turn into pride. Uh, uh, and, and pride is often born out of insecurities. When we don't know who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, pride is maybe more than anger, the first emotion that will rise up and take us down. And the scriptures say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The pride comes before a fall. And Samson falls hard at the end of his life if you want to go home and read the rest of the story about Delilah and all that. He winds up in in jail, in a Philistine jail. But for so many of us men, it's like, hey, look at me. Don't I have worth based on what I've accomplished? And the flip side of pride is, is equally as dangerous. It's not, hey, like me for what I've done. It's I don't want to help ask for help when I'm in need. 
I don't want you to know where I'm weak. It's a flip side of insecure pride in, in men especially. And the same man like me who's full of pride and won't ask for directions, I'm that guy. We can find ourselves in a horrible place of need and we don't have the courage to tell anyone else we're in need because we're controlled by pride instead of the Holy Spirit. Because most of us, we want to be the main character in the story. We want it to be about us. We want to win. Samson wanted that to be his win. And when we win, we're proud. And when we don't win, we're angry because we want to be in control. We want to be the main character in the story. But gentlemen, we're never the main character of the story. God is the main character in the story. And when we understand God is the main character, then we won't be tempted to be driven by our emotions of anger or pride, but instead controlled by the Holy Spirit. As Galatians said, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh because your flesh is in conflict with the Spirit. So you do not do what you want. And so if we're continually uh, uh, controlled by our emotions, then we'll just end up like Samson, a man with incredible divine potential, continuing to self-destruct. But if instead we put our emotions on the altar of God and sacrifice them and say, God, yes, I may feel these, but I will not be controlled by them. I will name them. I will deal with the source of them and, and with reality. And then I will submit them to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and walk out controlled by the Spirit as I interact with the people in my life. And then God becomes the main character in your story. And suddenly we're not living for the approval of other people which is pride, but we're living from the approval of God. And that changes everything. And then we can be set free to be who God created us to be. Some of us are sitting in this room and it's hard to read Samson and not be like, man, I see myself there and I have blown it. I've messed up big and bad. You wouldn't believe what I've done. Here's where we end. Number three from another commentary. If I let my need point me to God, he will meet my deepest need. And here's one of the tiny little pinpricks of a faith moment for Samson in this moment. So he's killed all these men and he's like, oh no, I'm now public enemy number one. There's wanted posters out for my arrest and that was true and that happened to him later. Uh, they're either gonna kill me or I'm gonna die of thirst out here. And so verse 18, he allows his need to drive him to God even at the end of some of his worst sin. Verse 18, he's no longer full of pride, but he's humble. Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst? So he allows his need to drive him to the Lord. Once again, see this clearly. The Lord doesn't say, after misusing all the gifts and talents and resources I've given you, and now you want to talk to me when you're in need? Talk to the hand. He doesn't. This is the story of the book of Judges over and over. God is gracious and compassionate and forgiving to a thousand generations. Verse 19, then God opened up the hollow place. This is a little, little place in, in, in a rock in Lehi. Water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called in Hakore and is still there in Lehi. This is one of the literary details that shows that this was written probably about a generation after the events described. When you return to God, your strength will return, but not your strength. It's his strength in your weakness, and you will be revived. In other words, guess what? You come back to life. 
You can be who you were created to be. You can make a difference. You can be a leader. You can be an influencer. You can be a lover. You can live holy and righteous, controlled by the Spirit, a force for the Spirit in your loved one's lives and through your work. When you let your need drive you to God, he meets your deepest need. And, and if you, it, all we have to do is just repent and say, Lord, there are times when I've been driven by the emotions of anger and pride or whatever it is for you. But I want to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And if you allow that deepest need to lead you to him, he will meet it. And he will empower you to do everything God wants you to do for his glory, your joy, and others' good. I want to pray over you that Jesus is the better Samson, and then we'll worship him together in response. Heavenly Father, would you guys stand for this prayer, please? Heavenly Father, thank you that in our need, that this judges is just such a picture in your word of, of us in our own power and the messes we get into and the hurt that we cause to ourselves and others. And thank you that rather than just send another temporary leader or judge for another 20 years, you sent Jesus to be our eternal leader. Thank you that Jesus is the better Samson, Lord. Thank you that like Samson, Jesus' birth was prophesied about ahead of time to save his people. But not just Israel, thank you that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy perfectly and has saved the world through his atoning death on the cross. He's atoned for all of this sin and this story and all of mine and all of it in every person here. Thank you that Jesus, like Samson, was anointed by the Spirit. And thank you that Jesus, the better Samson, stayed in perfect step with the Spirit of God and accomplished his mission. And he showed us an example of what a God-controlled woman or man looks like. And thank you that Jesus is a better Samson because his leadership, past, present, and future is trustworthy and good. It's not motivated by anger or pride. Thank you that his leadership in our lives is, is motivated to glorify God the Father, to renew creation, and to love each and every one of us. We say yes to Jesus again. We trust him. We follow him. We now worship him together. Amen.